Hello and good afternoon, everybody. My name is Jürgen Steinmetz and I'm joining you from Livestream.Travel in Honolulu. And uh, we're here today in a um, discussion jointly with the World Tourism Network. As you all know, World Tourism Network is an initiative that emerged out of the Rebuilding.Travel discussion um, started right after or during the ITB trade show. Unfortunately, ITB trade show in Berlin in March never happened, but our Rebuilding.Travel discussion happened not knowing what we're really getting into uh, with COVID. Now in December, um, Rebuilding.Travel, what was a non-structured discussion group with people already in more than 120 countries is now World Tourism Network. And World Tourism Network is a new organization we have a little bit more than a thousand members now in 126 countries. And um, our goal is really to help the medium and small sized businesses to maneuver uh, beyond the crisis um, and uh, through this crisis. And we welcome both public sector rep uh, representatives, including some of the ministers of tourism. And we welcome big business, but we're really for the small and medium sized guys. In December, we had a number of um, events, online events. I think they were all successful. You can still find them on livestream.travel. When you go back and some fascinating discussions and today we're gonna to continue this. And I'd like to welcome um, Dr. Eleanor Garley in New York. Eleanor has been a reporter and a contributor for Etobo News for almost 20 years. Uh, she's known, really known not for lip service that much, but uh, she takes things on as they are. She's joining us from her apartment in Manhattan, New York. And um, just uh, for housekeeping, just a few things. We are also online right now at our various platforms. So any of you guys wanted to be part of this audience and actually ask questions, you can still do this. Simply go to worldtourismevents.com worldtourismevents.com and you can still sign up and be part of this live audience. And uh, once you're part of this live audience and I see uh, we have about 200 people that registered, we usually get about half eventually attending. Uh, you can actually ask questions. You can be part of all of this. And if you wanted to ask questions, we're trying to do a little bit different. We're trying to make it interactive. We're not, we, unfortunately, we not always have the time to look through the chat uh, because on this end, it's only me trying to maneuver between all of this. So it's easier um, once we're done with the presentation to raise your hand, your virtual hand, doesn't mean you raise your hand like this, but you can do this um, on your screen uh, on the right-hand side. If you click on participants on the right-hand side, there's a little hand you can raise. And we see this here. And then we're gonna put your picture up, make sure your camera is on and uh, we're going to take your questions uh, one by one. So I see there is Dr. Pipin Chandra raising hand. You just tried it, but you lowered it again. So yeah, we're going to wait for this till after the event. But without further delay, I wanted to give the floor to Eleanor to take the lead from here. Welcome, Eleanor. Well, hi, it's always good to see you, Thomas. And um, I am just overjoyed to have our guest uh, this evening. So we have a famous professor, doctor from the University of Southern Australia with us today. Do Dr. Mariana is a professor, an author, a journalist, a researcher, um, members of, of an enormous number of, of associations where she has leadership positions. 
And because of, of the growing interest in um, the, or at least the importance um, as a former college professor and coordinator of travel and tourism studies for the City University of New York, I became, I'm very aware of the necessity for a good education in order to keep the industry alive and current. Um, and as a result of, of COVID and this pandemic, there, the, the need for new leadership um, has become a, 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 um, a really problematic situation for, I see it, because universities and colleges, uh, campuses and, and facilitators and faculty administrators are very slow to change. <clears throat> So um, I'm looking, I've been looking for people that are researching, have been in the business, are in the industry, are in a part of the planet that is doing something right. And I've been very fortunate to find Professor Dr. Mariana um, from Australia, who meets all of the, checks all the boxes. So what I'm going to suggest is that I turn the mic over to uh, Dr. Mariana and ask her to share with us some of her observations and her research and some of her personal experiences on dealing with the new reality um, of the tourism industry. Mariana, can you unmute? I unmute myself now. I hope everyone can hear me. We can hear you great. From Adelaide, Australia. It is summer here. Um, I suppose everyone is different time zones and continents, uh, but it doesn't matter. It's really my pleasure to be online and thank you for the invitation, Eleanor and uh, Jorgen. Um, pleased to share with you my experiences or what I've read and what I have been discussing with various leaders. Um, in the tourism industry here in Australia, but also online with um, any of my contacts. Um, it's a huge topic actually, and I really don't know from where to start and how to finish and how probably not to overconsume your time by restating things that everyone knows. So, uh, Eleanor, what would be the first item you want me to comment? Well, I'd like you to start with your with an overview of your observations of the industry. Um, what um, I mean, it's been dormant, uh, to be kind. Okay. And now it's going to. We're hoping over the next few months, and certainly by the end of this year, that it will reboot and uh, tourists will start coming back. So mm -hmm. all of the segments of the industry, some have responded well by changing their formats, by changing their materials, by requiring face masks. Uh, mm -hmm. Others needed governments to push them into dealing with the new reality. Um, but the, the industry has been slow to change, um, but that's, that's the nature of the industry. But academia is even slower to respond to, to the need for change. And so when the schools and the colleges and the are back. Uh, the students are going to come back to 2019, and that's a lot of that coursework, and, and is not going to be relevant to, to 2022. So, based on what you've seen and heard and experienced, and your knowledge of the academic world, what needs what what can we do 
in order to take this very slow moving machine um, so that the students mm -hmm. entering the industry come in with, with a toolkit and skill set that will help them to survive and succeed. And what can we do to help the existing managers and executives in order to cope with the new reality? Okay, okay. Um, okay, that gives me a good food uh, for discussion and starting talking. I will give some background observations in terms of what I've seen and experienced, and then I'll give my future vision in terms of what can happen or should happen. Um, you mentioned before, and I have heard it from many politicians, that the industry, the tourism industry or the economy in general, uh, is under hibernation. That was the word that they were using here in Australia, at least. Um, you said the industry has been dormant. I will agree and disagree. Uh, there are examples and evidence that, yes, indeed, many leaders, many professionals, many companies, many destinations, they were not as fast to respond or to try to innovate or change, I would say, in terms of how they're working during this lockdown. But they have been other companies, and not only within the tourism sector, but even from other sectors that they had been really very active and sometimes even more active than before COVID. Um, COVID, it is a crisis. We have been facing crisis a lot. The difference with COVID, it was that it was a really global stop. It was not just one region affected. Uh, it affected every one of us. The tourism industry was one of the industries really hit it. Um, what companies had to do, it was of course the immediate response to try to handle cancellations, refunds, customers being stranded, whatever. And of course they had to do things. Well, they had, they didn't have to, you know, particularly here in Australia. And I need to emphasize that. And I imagine it is true for many other countries. Governments in several countries, they have been quite generous in giving subsidies, financial support to employees or companies. And because of that, you could have simply taken the easy way, do nothing, get the subsidy and survive for a while. But many companies, they, they haven't taken that route. Um, they have done things to respond uh, and try to have continuity in terms of the experiences and the revenue streams. So many of them, they went online. Um, they were offering digital experiences, visit to galleries, online festivals, online wine tours. Uh, we have seen virtual tours to destinations. They have been handling customer communications. They were giving support and mental health to customers, but employees themselves using big data to try to find new markets to penetrate. So I have seen quite a lot of innovation around. Uh, from all sectors, from the wider tourism industry. As I mentioned before, uh, wineries, festival and operas, um, hotels being converted to offices, um, restaurants uh, becoming online cooking demonstrators with chefs, um, you name it. Uh, and I have seen innovation, as I said before, from companies outside the tourism industry as well. Uh, probably you have heard about what IKEA was doing, you know? Uh, the destination in the box. You receive a box, 
including furniture from Istanbul, the coffee teapot from Istanbul, music from Istanbul, paintings from Istanbul, the furniture for Istanbul. You're locked down in your room, in your home. You open up the box, you replicate Istanbul in your room, and you imagine you're having a tea in Istanbul in your room. Now, IKEA is a furniture retail provider, but by doing this during the lockdown, they've been offering tourism experiences, and I don't think they will stop doing it. They became part of the tourism industry, they will continue doing it. I've been to supermarkets that they have employed um, the chefs that they didn't have any job to do online, not online, face-to-face -face demonstrations in the retail um, supermarket. And they had musicians that they couldn't play in an event, uh, playing the piano and the violin, and customers had really fun, in inverted commas, going to the supermarket, being entertained, but also educated what to buy and how to cook. Uh, again, I don't think supermarkets or retailing might change their model, because retailing is nowadays also faced by the online shopping. If you want to attract people going back to retailing, you have to give them a compelling experience, and maybe that might be the solution. So these retailers, they're going to compete with meal experience at restaurants, events, opera houses, you name it. So I would disagree and agree that the tourism industry or the economy in general has been hibernating. Uh, yes, some of them they had, but the ones that they really uh, wanted to be the leaders or to, uh, to serve, not only to survive, but to continue operating and contributing and have something to do, they have been quite creative and quite active. Um, now, the experiences or what has been offering during this lockdown has also accelerated, and I'm sure you have heard it a lot, technology adoption. And it has, yeah? Technology adoption from the tourism supplier point of view and technology adoption from the tourism demand or the citizen, the customer point of view as well. Uh, there are companies that, you know, for a long time they were saying, I want and I need to go to social media and do live streaming. I need to do more social media marketing. I need to communicate with my customers more. I need to allow employees to remote working because I have many good employees that they cannot come to office every day. Uh, we need to use Zoom to do online meetings because people waste time in traveling, in being away from home, whatever. But they never did it. Now, with the COVID, they did it in less than one day. <laughs> and they did it not only for one day, they've done it for almost one year now. Now, based on psychology, the, the scientists claim that you only need 66 days to do a new behavior in order to adapt a new pattern. Well, we have over exceeded this limit of 66 days. What it does mean for me, it is that we currently have a new consumer that probably previously was saying, I will never work from home. I cannot do it. I will never buy an online festival experience. I will never do a disco clubbing thing remotely with um, uh, DJs from all over the globe. Well, they've done it, probably they liked it. Most likely they have seen the positives, but also the negatives of doing it. And I'm sure in the next normal, if there is a normal or 
you know, a stabilized situation soon, what we're going to see, it's much more a blurred or mixed reality. People still going face to face because obviously there are many benefits of doing to that and having live face-to-face -face experience or working at office. But things that we have seen during the lockdown, some of them, they're here to stay for cost reasons, saving money, time, but also for effectiveness, convenience, and probably new patterns of behavior. Uh, what else have I seen? What have you seen as, as from the management executive position yes. enable yes. the um, women to pivot, uh, to change, to adapt, to accept the, 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 the crises um, and deal quickly with finding a solution? Because that's not usually the methodology for a business 200 class. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Um, and even if you open a textbook, you will never find a solution how to do it. Because we as academics or researchers have always approached innovation from the point of view that it's a pre-planned, well-thought process. Exactly. A process that you do well in advance, you have a plan, a strategy, how to do it, and so on. Well, in the COVID case and many other crises, you had no time to pre-think or to get ready. And you had to innovate with, with whatever you had in hand in terms of resources, in terms of people, in terms of time, and you had to be very fast. So yes, there is no manual in how to respond. And I had been carrying out research in terms of what I call innovation for necessity, because many of these companies, they have been innovating because of this stressor, you know, to, to survive somewhere. Um, and I have been interviewing many different executives leaders around and the major response I got from them, it was that one major success factor that enabled them to, as I said, change or implement what they have been saying for a long time, but they never did it. It was first of all, time availability, because previously, they were overrun by day-to-day -day operations and they had no time to think how to do it or with whom to do it. So time availability, uh, because the day-to-day -day operations just stopped. It was one of the success factor. And the second one that they have actually mentioned to me, it was the mindset, the willingness, and the flexibility of the employees to continue working or being open-minded to new operations, new ways of surviving. They never mentioned to me knowledge that they had before or, I don't know, um, digital ready experiences or whatever. It was mainly the goodwill, the flexibility and the willingness of staff, number one. Secondly, if they didn't have the knowledge, their willingness to go and learn it in an hour. But number one, it was the mindset, your willingness to do it and readiness or open mind uh, approach that they had. And I think this says a lot in terms of how important soft skills or human skills, um, uh, problem solving skills, um, agility or creativeness is important to face a crisis or to be innovative on a continuous basis 
and not on a basis whereby you see innovation as a strategic ad hoc planning process that you think that innovation is only when you do a breakthrough thing rather than a minor adjust adjustment to your daily life. What happened to the bureaucratic process? Were these, were these <laughs> executives that, that were able to implement their, um, their ideas, their, their uh, thoughts and, 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 and um, observations where they, they were able to quickly break through the traditional red tape, the bureaucracy, um, in order to implement uh, their ideas. How were they able to, uh, to, to deal with that structure, that corporate structure? To be honest, nobody that I have talked with, at least, has said to me that um, we wanted to respond and we were facing red tape. And if I reflect on what they have been telling me, I think that was because everybody was on the same boat, from the top executive to the lowest level of employee. And I think this might explain the fact that everyone's willingness to change or be open-minded um, has made everyone to think, you know, behind the book or the rules or the operating procedures and be open to do something or to change. So that once we get back, uh, not get back, but once we reopen um, and start anew, do you think that that, that, um, that, that ease of relationships and the elimination of the hierarchy will will re-establish re, re itself? Or do you think there'll be this more open um, office environment? Uh, good question. Um, there are two different things though. <laughs> I don't know how you interpret open office. I mean, many companies even before coronavirus, they went to open spaces, you know, open floors. No, I mean, communication spaces. Uh, you know, so uh, that it doesn't mean, however, that because you have, you know, an open office policy that cuts to each other, yes. or <laughs> there is no bureaucracy. So there is the geographical, you know, part, and there is also the organizational culture part. Uh, I that that circle management system that didn't work very well for our former president Jimmy Carter, but conceptually it's a very good idea where there's the where it's an open door and and you come and go based on the conversations that you want to have, rather than have to deal with a with a hierarchy. Now because of the crisis, the, the these walls seem to have at least been lowered, if not disappeared when this is when when our economy is is back do you think that that hierarchy will reestablish itself or will it be a different configuration i don't have a crystal ball what i know and what previous experience shows however is that once we go back to whatever back i don't think we're going back but anyway once things will be stabilized we will have what usually theory calls a new market equilibrium. You know, things being fixated to a new reality. Um, I don't know when we will face that, but yes, a new stability will come, but the new stabilization point, it will not be something that we are already familiar or something from the past. Well, how is this, how have your observations then translated into a classroom 
experience. Will the classroom traditional textbook uh, tests, term papers, research, exams, do you think that that's gonna change? Um, will, and, and if it does change, what will it look like? In addition, um, because of the crises, and it's, it's likely that crises like this will continue. This is not the first and last pandemic that we're ever gonna see. So whether it's an earthquake or a health crisis or a financial crisis, crises are going to be situation normal um, as we go forward into, the, into this century, into this decade and into the century. So how, how are these, this, this experience, these, these less than, than, than solid ground that we're gonna be work, walking on, how are we going to be able to translate that, that earth, those tremors, if you will, that, that are always gonna be part of our environment into a learning experience for, for new students as well as for seasoned executives? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, now you raised a huge topic. So I will give some background information or observations and then I'll um, share with you my thoughts. Um, something that uh, people I have been talking with the industry repeatedly uh, okay. reporting to me was that we lost you. Uh, Mariana, I'm sorry, it was me muting you by mistake. Uh, my apologies. No worries, you can hear me now? Yes, yeah. please go ahead. So yes, during the lockdown, unfortunately, what the tourism industry has experienced is a huge brain drain. Uh, many people, unfortunately, they have lost their jobs. And as you can imagine, the ones that they have managed to find a job during the coronavirus were either the ones that they had probably the technical skills to get a job, a low level standard operational job in essential workers, hospitals, whatever, or they're really talented, they're really creative, open-minded, and the ones that they had transferable skills. Now, quick question. Do you think that the talented tourism executive, that he has transferable creative skills, that he or she got a job in banking, finance, I don't know where he got, getting triple the salary will ever return to the tourism industry? Because the tourism industry is always bad, no. a bad payer, yeah? Now- And it's 24 seven. That we have lost a lot of talent. Yes, um, uh, companies, they, they have already mentioned to me that their challenge is how to retain the talent or how to bring it back or how to identify the new talent because they don't know what the new skills and competencies or the new experiences that they have to sell. Um, the other observation that I had during this period is that because of all this digitization, virtualization of customer communication, experiences, remote working, the most of the leaders, executives, or even middle managers were reporting to me that they had a problem, a concern, an issue, or something that they, were, they felt incapable or not experienced to do remote management or remote leadership. They didn't know how to handle staff working away 
They didn't know how to manage stuff that probably they have never seen face to face and they have never met because there were some new stuff that they had, they brought new skills or resources. They didn't know how to address and motivate employees that they were facing, you know, anxiety, stress, mental health issues. They didn't know how to coordinate virtual teams. Um, well, to me, this is a skill that they should have had it, or if they didn't have it, they definitely have to have it in the future, because all these are going to stay. They're here to stay. Um, so, again, the remote leadership, motivation, emotional, cognitive skills, they, they, they are going to be really important. Um, but to be honest to you, I don't think even these are new. I think even pre-coronavirus, I remember myself being asked, you know, what are the future skills of the uh, tourism industry? And everybody always were mentioning, well, everybody has to be digital capable or expert, how to communicate online with customers, how to use social media, how to do virtual experience, how to um, coordinate with others online, isn't it? And be in a virtual team and that's why I always ask my students to use technology to do team projects, you know? So I don't think all these are, again, new. I think what coronavirus did again, it has strengthened or magnified the urgency that we have to get and acquire these skills. And not only to get them, that we had to have them already. Do you see, well, I, in my own university, there was, and I was doing online, I had distance learning classes, and my students were, were doing online projects, but there was a reluctance, um, and I'm being kind, from the administration to, to move so much of, of the learning to technology. Um, and so um, the universities in the United States are, are not known for being innovative. So, uh, and, and so, um, and, and the hotel industry is not known for being innovative. Um, how, how can, and how can the, the need of, for innovation and acceptance of technology be moved through the, the system so that the, the people coming out of the high schools into the colleges and the top down, the presidents and the senior executives at the administrative level of universities, how can we get these people to dialogue, to understand the, the complexity of the, of the tourism industry? Because I, I know, for, again, from my own experience that there's still a belief that if you can make a coffee and a, and a and a bed, you, you can run a hotel, but obviously it's a multi Well, you can, <laughs> <laughs> multi -billion you can make sure it survives one day. It doesn't mean that you can have a profitable hotel the next day. Uh, <laughs> so the, how do you trans, ha, transfer this, this re, re requirement for the, for the business to have these people with these skill sets and with this mindset into an, the, into an academic environment. What's, what's the, the, the conversation that needs to take place? Well, I think first of all, um, every educational or provider or institution will really need to uh, define or redefine 
what is the scope or the purpose of the education or the training they want to provide. There is a big difference between education and training or skills and competencies, yeah? And in general, so far, if I want to be very simplistic, and I'm going to be very simplistic, they have been two, let's say, major providers of skill sets in the tourism industry. Hotel schools or practical level educational providers that, as you said, they provide the day-to-day -day operational skills, how to serve, how to clean a room, how to do the check-in, you know, how to cook, blah, blah. And then we had the other extreme of providers, the universities, that they never paid attention to these, you know, uh, uh, operational skills. Um, they always had the direction or the focus to train people to be more strategically minded, higher level skills, you know, research-based, strategic thinking, whatever. And both extremes have a problem in inverted commas, because once you train somebody to serve a coffee, you haven't developed the skills of this person to climb up in the hierarchy and the ladder. And once you train somebody to think strat strategically and, you know, um, managerially, he cannot manage a job unless if he has done the job. And no one will employ this person to do the job unless if he knows how to serve a coffee. And unfortunately, the university graduates do not know how to serve a coffee. And that's why probably many of the university graduates, they probably never end up in the tourism industry. They get the job somewhere else because tourism hospitality skills, they are transferable, you know? So I think the first thing that um, educational providers need to do is to really rethink or refocus what exactly they want to do who to train and what to train. What is the skill gap or the labor market or the research market that they really want to be in? Um, COVID, apart from magnifying or accelerating the need for new skills or competencies, has also created or reminded us that what educational institutions also need to realize is that it's not only the demands of the uh, tourism companies that have changed in terms of what skills or new type of labor are looking for. What has also changed is the student market itself, meaning who is the student and what they're looking for. And what it has also changed is who is the educator and who is going to be the trainer? So I will give you some simplistic examples to try to understand why the student market has changed. And it has been changing even before COVID. It's not that COVID did the whole thing, you know? Um, we have people that they want to study tourism or hospitality, that they come uh, from a totally different discipline and employee uh, experience. We have people 50 or 60 years old that they want to change career. And at the same time, we have the 17, 18 year old student with no industry experience that for whatever reason wants to, uh, to study tourism and hospitality. At the same time, as a student, we also have somebody who is currently employed he's probably serving coffee. Again, I'm very simplistic and sarcastic, 
but he or she wants to get promoted and he or she needs a better degree. Yeah. Now you cannot have in inverted commas one program satisfying all these diversified students. One size does not fit all, as you can imagine. Of course, one student can benefit from the other. When you mix different students together, the 17, 18 years old can benefit by working with a 50 year old and vice versa. Yeah, But you cannot have a syllabi or a curriculum that it, it is equally appealing and it is equally valuable to all of them. What else we have seen? Um, during the coronavirus, uh, educational providers, they were forced to go online, isn't it? And students went online, not only the current students, even prime schools, yeah, primary school. So the student that I will have in two, three years, he or she will have already experienced online learning. Yeah. Um, and even before coronavirus, we had, you know, the Uber University, we had micro educational degrees in virtual universities, whereby somebody was getting a micro masters within a month, within a week, without the need to go to a university and spend a whole year and have to give up his job or to go from full-time job to a part-time job. Now, what does this mean? It means that the student market, in inverted commas student market nowadays, apart from becoming more diversified, demographically, experience-wise, industry-wise, it has also become more um, demanding in terms of the flexibility that they want. Probably they don't want a degree three years long. Oh my goodness, no, I want a degree that yes. it customized to my previous experience. I don't do, I don't redo things that I have already done. I do a course in one week, in one month, in one year, and I'm done. You know, and I pick and select in a do-it-yourself mix and match approach, I don't know, whatever, a degree that really progress me and I don't waste time and effort in a flexible way. Now, do the universities have this kind of system? Not really. You either go to a full three-year or four-year cycle or one-year master's, two years or whatever. Yeah. So maybe apart from changing curricula, apart from changing teaching methods, what the universities or educational providers also need to think is the cycle of education, the duration or the, uh, the design of the whole degree, you know? How you do it and how you're allowed to do it. Um, what is happening in the um, educators or professionals uh, market, if I can call it market? Uh, they were also demanded within one or two days, one week, to be ready to go online and deliver lectures online. And that was not new to them. Many of them previously, they were professors in micro masters in virtual universities. They were doing blended teaching, whatever. But now they had to do it. They became experts. They even um, generated some revenue. I mean, I, I or many of us, they have been teaching online, giving seminars online, conferences online, meetings online, um, guest lectures online. 
why do I need to have a full-time job to run university? I can stay home, I can be a freelancer, and I can run one virtual lecture in a virtual university, um, online seminar for somebody else, and be more flexible, more happy, manage my time, have no boss, and be a worldwide Uber professor. Well, it's feasible because there is demand for that and there is supply for that. What, but this, but universities need to change even their employment relations with professors and, and, and the student also the student and the faculty person is is not in that classroom and and I think um, COVID has shown that the a total absence of of in face to face between the faculty and the student is a real a real serious miss. In, in terms of getting um, a thorough understanding or, or a good education. Mm -hmm. That social interaction does, uh, it's enabling on both sides of, of the desk. Exactly, uh, so if this is the value added, then the university will have to pay me for that, not the online delivery, because I can video record the lecture and I can replay it 500 times. But my value added, that it cannot be substituted or replaced is probably, as you said, the face-to-face -face personalized consulting with students. Mm -hmm. So that and you see that even the job description or the remuneration might have to be redefined. And it's not only me that can do the teaching, sorry, but we have experienced before COVID and during COVID and after COVID that equally a CEO or an hotel manager has knowledge and things to share and be valuable to students. So why shouldn't the CEO be a guest professor, or a freelancer selling in inverted commas, training and education to university or educational providers? How do you think the, the presidents of these of colleges and universities and boards of directors are going to respond to these new um, these new definitions of, of what a faculty person is or what academic learning is about. Do you, do you, do you, ex <laughs> do you anticipate some pushback? I really don't know what to predict, to be honest. Yes, uh, I will tell you my opinion. The way somebody responds, it depends on his or her awareness of what is going around. There are people that they are watching things happening and they don't know what is happening. There are people that they're making things happening. There are people that they follow the ones doing the things. So uh, how you respond, I think it heavily depends on your conscious or awareness in terms of what is going around on your abilities, innovativeness, and creativeness, or even willingness to respond and to change. And that's it. And different people, different organizations, different structures, they have different, um, I would say, abilities and all that. Do you think that the maturity and say, you know, everybody will change or nobody will change or this is what will happen? I think we will see a great variety. We will see educational providers being the leaders creating something new we will see educational providers not willing to change because they think that you know nothing has changed or they can 
continue doing the same thing. We will see um, universities copying paste what others are doing without knowing why they have to imitate and whether the imitation or the copy paste will help them. We will see all variety. <laughs> What about the 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 uh, traditional uh, learning skill um, materials? Do you think that textbooks are on the way out? Um, do you think that term papers will be eliminated and tests uh, sent um, into the uh, into the abyss? Uh, do you see the structure uh, will change and with a, with a greater emphasis on internships and on the job training? as opposed to the traditional academic uh, skill, uh, tools? Mm -hmm. um, I strongly believe that every single instructional method tool has its own purpose and value. Yeah? Books are still valid. You need some background you know, knowledge underpinning to understand and develop critical thinking. You cannot ask somebody to give his opinion on something unless if he has a pre-existing knowledge. Now, will he read a book to get it? Will he watch a video? Will he interact in an online book? I don't know. Whatever is the new format of a book, the book is still valuable. Book in inverted commas. If you see what you, are you still writing a, a traditional textbook? Because I, you've written many. Uh, have you oh, yes, yes. The publishers ha haven't changed their model. I mean, they are converting books online, but the digital books are just a photograph of a normal book, you know? They so haven't yeah, your, your format has not changed? No, no. Will it change? I changed it myself. Uh, and I have many uh, new type of books anywhere, apart from, yes, um, have tried to make interactive books by basically doing hyperlinks. You know, you click here and you go to another page or you watch a video to see something else, which is again a better version of a traditional book, but again, it is still a book, you know? Um, what about, of, like, what about you have an hyperlink, you know? What about the technology uh, side of your research? Are you, what new um, technology is going to be a, become a standard in the in the tourism hotel restaurant cruise ship space for conducting research yeah you're because you you your textbooks and your research is on technology mm -hmm. i believe and so what new technology have you identified that is is just being introduced or could be introduced into any segment of the industry so it becomes standard rather than a new addition like the contactless the new standard for everyone is what we are doing now you know video conferencing call it zoom call it microsoft team call it webex whatever skype i think this is a standard everybody knows how to use it you know or has experienced it for professional or social or family reasons uh, and of course the way you use it it can be versatile i mean uh, we are doing an online discussion panel here. I could use it to do um, um, a forum group or interview done it to collect data from industry, you know, or I can use it for a, a classroom uh, or for a virtual team in a company, you know. So I, I suppose this is the new standard. It is a standard already. Um, it will become part of a mixed 
reality as well. You know, you will be sitting on a table with people sitting next to you and having a face-to-face -face meeting. And at the same time, people joining the face-to-face -face meeting through a Zoom, you know, or being in a festival opera house, you know, uh, watching a, a live performance and at the same time having a, a Zoom, a Microsoft team, whatever, you know, virtual thing. So others can experience from away from home or the directors are um, commenting on the performers, you know, what they did well or what is happening or while you're watching the uh, front stage, you can have a camera watching the backstage as well, you know? The mixed reality is here. I think that's the, the standard. Um, Great, I, I, think, I think I'm gonna interrupt you for a moment so that we can open the conversation and to um, our, our visitors. Um, Thomas, if you can start um, suggesting or uh, the people that are waiting in the wings, so to speak, if you'd like to start asking some questions. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very, yeah, just very easy. Just raise your hand. And we have four or five uh, interventions here already on the chat group I'm trying to get to, but feel free to raise your hand and then we put your spotlight up and you'll be next. Let's start with Denise Aliong Thomas. You, you had a question, uh, Denise, go ahead. Can the person identify themselves yeah. in their association or? Yeah, let us know where you're from and, um, um, you know, uh, what you do. who you are. Yes. Good evening, everyone. Greetings from Trinidad and Tobago. Are you hearing me clearly? We can hear you great, Denise. Welcome okay. back. Thank you. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, I am currently the president of the small tourism accommodation owners of Trinidad and Tobago. We represent the small accommodation properties with one to 20 rooms, so like the B&Bs, um, the the B&Bs, the self-catering apartments, host homes, and so. Um, and I also own and manage a small uh, guest house in Port of Spain, in the capital city of Port of Spain, with uh, 12, 12 rooms, 12 guest rooms. This is somebody that has their television or radio on. and It's, it's already off. It's, I got it. I got it. Okay, great. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Denise. I'm, I apologize. Denise? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just give me one minute, please. One minute. Sorry about that. I don't know if we lost Denise. Are you back, Denise? Okay, so if we're, uh, why don't we until we, uh, Denise gets back. Um, oh, there, you're back. Okay, no problem. Yes. Um, the question I had in the chat um, is, um, is there any way that universities can now accept um, tourism practitioners experience as credits towards a course of study, let's say for a degree or master's or so. For example, in my case, hotel management, because um, COVID-19 has presented um, a lot of challenges. I mean, as business persons in the tourism sector, you've always had the challenge of being able to study, um, to attend in-person classes and so on, even though you, you, you might have been given the opportunity to do online classes. But I'm just thinking for the new, the new normal, um, 
in terms of studying and so for the tourism industry if the consideration can be given um, towards accepting um, years of experience so in the tourism talking industry. talking about lifelong learning credits. Yes, yes. Um, so I, I'm not sure if uh, Mariana's university, what, what is, you know, what, what is the policy with that? And um, the other question I have is what sort of new programs are coming on stream um, in light of how we are supposed to operate now in the, the new normal of the tourism industry. Thank you. Mariana? I have to unmute myself, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for the question, Denise. Uh, in terms of whether universities, they credit um, industry experience, uh, I think this always applied in the past as well. I mean, myself, when I went to the UK a long time now to, uh, to do a master's degree, um, I have used my previous experience to uh, do an MBA instead of two years in one year. And they recognized that because I had previous um, industry experience. Uh, here in South Australia, in my university, um, you are allowed to use uh, industry experience to enter a bachelor program but again what type of courses you will get you know uh, recognized you know not to redo them it depends it depends on the syllabi or whatever that this might be some other universities they don't accept it at all so i think there is a mixed reality uh, New courses that uh, they're being designed and they are probably required in the next normal. Uh, I can't say I have seen already a new course that the university claims it's customized or you know it emerged as a result of COVID. But what I have seen in terms of new programs, new uh, studies um, that they are becoming popular, um, are programs or studies that they emphasize on data analytics or big data, not the technical part in terms of how you do data analysis. Yeah, I mean, that's the technical stuff that programmers know and they develop AI machine learning to do it, but uh, programs and studies that they emphasize on information-based management, if I call it like this, yeah? Uh, how to interpret data, how to identify what data sources, how to formulate business questions to manage. Uh, these kind of programs that they usually are very multidisciplinary, as you can imagine, they uh, have emerged even before COVID. Uh, in my university, we started uh, a business analytics uh, program uh, before COVID. I have to admit that this is the most popular study program nowadays as well. And it is multidisciplinary. We have courses and professors from the computing science department, from management and marketing, all contributing their own perspective. Um, and uh, as you can imagine, course on that. Um, then uh, the other thing that I... Um, it might be crucial to 
have in mind when we rethink design of programs is that, again, not because of COVID, but I think COVID has magnified and accelerated that need. We have seen or we are experiencing that companies and economies are becoming more multidisciplinary, if I can use this term, and I will explain why I say this. A few months ago, I was reading the interview from the CEO of the, uh, I think it was the CNN, yes, or the Times Magazine, I can't remember, and that's crucial because I really want to go back to the source and find the interview I was reading. Anyway, it was either, no, it was the CNN, definitely the CNN CEO. And he was, he gave an interview and I was reading the script of the interview. And he was saying many interesting things. And suddenly, while I was reading the interview, he mentioned, um, we are not in the news industry. And I said, oh my goodness. Well, if CNN is not in the news industry, where do they belong? I mean, where do they compete? Who are their competitors, you know? So immediately when I read this, I became more curious and I continue reading the, the interview. And then he said, well, we are in the entertaining media sector. I said, my goodness, a news agent, a news media in the entertaining. And then I, when I finished reading the interview that he gave, I realized that yes, they are in the entertaining um, media, making content industry as well. Because the way CNN and many other media channels, they have changed the way they broadcast and they present the news has totally changed from the traditional way, isn't it? It has become much more interactive with people sending messages on, I don't know, social media, Facebook, whatever, and the audience become part of the discussion or they create the content themselves and they share it. The way they present the news is not one person pushing information that is boring, that is, um, I don't know, not interesting, not triggering. You have a person broadcasting news in a precise way. You have somebody writing a script and presenting the news like a movie, making it interesting, challenging with um, live events, with people commenting from all over the globe and it's a kind of a Hollywood production, isn't it? So the way that CNN has actually redefined the industry where they are and they have redefined the product and the experience they're doing, as he explained, is was by borrowing ideas of storytelling and movie making from other industries, from Hollywood and from experts in theatrical studies or uh, movie making. Yeah. So the uh, news industry, they have reinvented them, themselves by borrowing and getting talent from another discipline. Now, if we want to sustain in the tourism industry, I think we need to do the same. I don't know which is this discipline. I don't know which is this industry, but we need new blood. We need new ideas. Not that our ideas are bad, but we really need to think outside of the box. And I don't know whether we can do this by being inside the box. At least we need somebody from outside to trigger us. <laughs> to open the door. <laughs> yes. No, no, and no, we have to open the door, of course, because if we keep the door closed, we will never change. <laughs> right. 
thank you, Denise. Um, we have another question. Yes, uh, we had uh, Rudolf Hermann and Rudolf just to um, explain us um, our uh, chairman of the Malaysia chapter. He's been very active and also he take, uh, took over the responsible uh, re responsibility for the rebuilding our travel LinkedIn group. We'll be announcing this shortly. And uh, welcome, Rudolf. You had a comment or a question, I believe. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, uh, Jürgen. And uh, yeah, thank you, Mariana and Elinor. Elinor, you are part of our group already. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, what, what I would say, would like to say uh, is actually, yes, uh, Mariana is right. We have to combine uh, the, the academic and the practical approach. We have to combine both. Because if we don't do that, academics will float somewhere and, and the, pra the practical people don't know how, how to get to the next level and, and, and to, to really move on forward. But if we combine it together, and that is what I'm trying to do in our LinkedIn group and in our chapter, in our discussions that we always do, um, I think we are on a, a, a good way, actually. Mariana, what do you think? Um. I strongly believe this. <laughs> I don't know if anyone is a friend of mine on Skype. I usually describe myself as a researching practitioner or a researcher. <laughs> um, I, I grew up, um, I worked and I was raised within the hospitality sector. My family runs a hotel, they still run it. I am the black sheep that escaped and came to academia. And by having this industry experience, I have to admit, it has made me a better educator and a better researcher. Um, and I always appreciate going back and mixing with, you know, day-to-day -day stuff or strategic thinking about the business. The problem is that most of the times, uh, or many academics, they don't have this industry background or many uh, practitioners, they don't understand what is research or what is, you know, um, the, how research can help them. And they have this misconception that we just say theories to develop theories. And the other problem is that, um, unfortunately, again, both of us are talking about the same thing, but we are using a different language to describe it. So we don't understand each other. Honestly, um, uh, we are using a totally different language, terminology, expressions, um, uh, thinking arguments, but we are both talking about the same thing most of the times. We just conceive it, perceive it, and externalize it, present it in a totally different way. Now, these language barriers are important because they break the communication. We do research that we believe and see that it has practical value, but the way we write it in academic journal papers, nobody can read, or even if they have the time to read it, they will understand it. We don't use a language that it's easily consumed, understood, and applied by the practitioners. And the practitioners, many times, they have clever ideas. They see what is happening. They know what it should happen, but they don't have the abstract thinking, if I can define it like this, or the theorizing to direct us what theory framework model or what research methodology we need to use to investigate this. 
because they are not thinking system uh, research-wise. Yeah. So um, I truly believe in this cooperation. Um, I have seen it practically myself, helping me personally in many spheres of my life. But we need to overcome these language communication problems and misconceptions. And uh, Mariana, we have uh, four more. Uh, running a little bit out of time, but I think we can uh, probably move on. We have uh, Lucky Chetri uh, from Nepal um, with a comment. Lucky, tell us uh, a little bit more who you are and what your comments are. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm Lucky Chetri from Nepal, and we are running a three-sister adventure trekking company. This is for women by women. And we have a small training institute as well uh, to bring women into this industry. And uh, what we uh, have experienced on this COVID is uh, like, uh, uh, while I'm uh, listening to this all conversation, you know, what I thought, like uh, all the tourism uh, sectors, actually we were believing on the remote uh, business because all everything we have to uh, um, book in advance through our uh, like uh, um, online, right? Uh, and activity has to be on the field when uh, the people they come. So it was uh, just opposite of the other sector uh, because uh, now many people they have been adopting online business, but we were already doing that, right? So now uh, it is something like uh, we are all in a, um, uh, in a position that uh, how can we do? But uh, even uh, in that position, what we did, we did a lot of work, um, like uh, uh, what it works, like we did the evaluation uh, monitoring of our organizations and future plan and these all different things we, we did on this time uh, because there was no activities of tourism. So, now I'm realizing, uh, as per the Professor Mariana, that uh, we have to develop the quality uh, manpower, of course. Um, and uh, this is very important. In Nepal, we have a lot of resources, but lack of good training institute, or maybe the quality human resources, we haven't reached on that top of the quality uh, tourism. So. Uh, this is what uh, is the challenge. How can we do that? And uh, and uh, in the trekking industry, we cannot do anything uh, like a remote um, action program, right? Uh, only the booking we can do. And uh, what I thought uh, for the uh, tour guide, what they could do, maybe you know, remote route. Uh, city tour program uh, for the people because they, everywhere there is a internet access through the people they can do and uh, they could even uh, you know provide this kind of lecture or program for the students in the college so the college uh, or maybe the group of people who are really right. wanted to travel in that areas but uh, they could do by a remote uh, to give them some uh, you know uh, sense of that places um, so these sort of things we can do, but for the trekking, we don't have that uh, sort of uh, things, but uh, we should focus on the quality uh, uh, manpower development. So is there, um, on this uh, program, I'm very uh, 
I'm fortunate and very happy that uh, Wu invited me on this program and I learned so much about it. So is there any opportunity that in future we can collaborate for the quality uh, human resource development training program? Uh, I like to uh, know from here. Thank you so much for giving this uh, time for me. Yeah, and uh, lucky before I Thank give you, the floor to uh, Mariana, just real quick for your and everyone else's information. We have interest groups within the World Tourism Network. Um, yeah. One of our, two of our interest groups touch exactly what you just mentioned. Um, one is um, in uh, is the virtual, um, the, the group that deals with virtual uh, tourism guides. And uh, mm -hmm. we had a discussion. What is fascinating? You find it fascinating what you find on in our archive at livestream.travel, uh, with tour guides actually from Bhutan, Tanzania, Peru, and another place coming together and doing exactly what you suggested: virtual tours. The other is mm -hmm. our uh, new chapter, what is under the leadership of uh, Marikar Donato, who's on this call, and she will say something at the end because we also have an event what deals with tourism guys and exactly this issue. I just wanted to uh, just uh, remind everyone we have this and we would encourage you like to, if you're not a member yet of WTM, become a member and join this group. But uh, Mariana, the floor is yours, sorry. Thank you so um, much. <laughs> yes, thank yeah. you Lucky. I'm very happy to hear about this um, quite interesting and innovative approach you, you have adopted. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm, I have become a kind of a Uber professor, so very happy to work with you and collaborate uh, from whatever way I can. Just uh, contact me. I guess you can find my details online. Just Google me and you, you see my contact details. So yeah, very happy to do it. Yeah, and if, if you join, uh, we'd be happy to get a profile page up. Everyone has a profile page with contact information, makes it easy. And we're going to put this also on the archive whatever information you want to publicly share, let us know, Mariana, we'd be happy to put on that. And um, let's you. go to another very, very loyal um, attendant who's joining us now at 3.12 in the morning, as far as I know, is uh, Birgit Tower. She's actually also Australian, Australian German. And uh, I'm, I'm so amazed you're on this forum. I saw Borkhardt also, who's also joining us from Germany, two of you. And that really speaks a lot. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm so humbled to actually see you on this group. Uh, welcome, Birgit. You had a comment. Well, hi. Hi to everyone. Hi, Mariana. Um, I'm obviously originally from Australia with UQ, University of Queensland, my PhD in tourism management. So, and having worked in industry and academia, I'm delighted to just listen to your presentation and, you know, totally agree with what's happening and what you're addressing and everybody else's comments. And I think my major concern or issue with all of this, because I stepped out of academia, I came from industry, my, I went into uh, academic training at the age of 39 with undergraduate degree after industry, and then did my PhD, and then stepped out of academia again and back into working independently. And I could not agree more that we need different ways of bringing the knowledge from academia into industry and vice versa and combining that. And hopefully COVID has brought that out and that we are going to approach things slightly differently, that neither party, whether it's industry or academia, works in silos. And I will certainly say that coming from academia recently, and I still watch that, the available information and literature and so forth 
is kept in the silo of academia. It's not written for industry. It's not accessible for people who are not signed up to uh, you know, information sources. They cannot even get access to that information that's available in academia. So it, already that transformation of information is not happening. So hopefully with your uh, influence, you might be able to change that a little bit and make it more accessible for people who are not anymore part of that system and create a bigger combination between the two. So that's just my comment and I'm delighted to be here tonight because it's very close to my heart to bring the academia closer into industry and vice versa. Thanks for that. Thank you, Birgit. Thank, thank you, Birgit. And thanks for attending that late. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I uh, couldn't, could not. It, it had to be. I just stayed up for specifically for you tonight. So thank you very much. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And um, uh, I think you have a book you, you're just uh, publishing. Let's, let's, let's advertise your book yes. for a little bit here. So tell, tell us yes, more about well, it's your interesting. book. Um, well, it's interesting because I've written that book. Thanks for you for that. And actually, Freya, um, Mariana will actually know about that because she's been commenting on LinkedIn on that book on that one, so she knows about that. Um, I've written that book actually very much based on research, and it's called The Way of a Peaceful Traveller, There to Care and Connect. And it's basically using travel and tourism to teach about positive psychology and tourism behaviour or just general behaviour and attitudinal change and mindset change. And that's just recently published about a month ago. I self-published that myself. So it didn't come through the normal channels that we normally do as academics. Totally independent. And it's and on again, your profile, I, I believe. You know, if you go to actually, uh, you are a member of WTN. So if you look yeah, her up, yes. I think you're listed under Germany or Australia. I cannot remember. Yeah, uh, you can I haven't done much marketing book. for it, but it's. I did that. It's really interesting because I wrote that book and I did all the research because I need, knew that we need to get that knowledge that is in academia and get it to the general public. And that's why I've written that book, the way I've done it. Right, it's right. an interactive Thank book, it's a hybrid kind of book. Perfect. So, yeah, you might be interested to have a look at it, Mariana, as I said, Freya knows about it too. And- um, Yes, please, if you can Diane Dredge actually uh, is a, um, uh, commented on the book within my book, she commented on it. And she again and where to find it. want to have a look at it. <laughs> Give us the name of the book. Give it's called, the, the, yes, it's like I type it in for you anyway. It's uh, The Way of the Peaceful Oops. Traveler. Oops. Okay, so while you type this in, I just wanted to ask, uh, we had Wai Zhang Leong, um, making a comment, but I think Waisang left us. I cannot find her. Are you still here, Waisang? If you are, speak up. Otherwise, uh, I assume you, you left us. And uh, we had a oh, number yeah. of... Hi, hi. I, I renamed myself. Actually, my name is Bernice. I'm from Malaysia. Oh, yes. Hi. Go ahead. Welcome. You're from Malaysia. Oh, yes. Uh, I wonder which comment you require. Two comments there. Okay, no, either way, you had whatever comment you wanted to make, and I, I, I see both of okay. them here. All right, um, actually, I'm from an industry, um, uh, working in a travel agency and also as a tourist guide. And I, I noticed that actually just now, uh, uh, one of the speakers had mentioned about to invite the out of the box persons, those out of the box to bring in new ideas, new innovations into the industry. Now, uh, in reality, it is not, not really encouraging because. Uh, we noticed that not even in Malaysia, actually in other countries, 
um, the industry player has been lobbying for more restrictions, for more um, hurdles, for more difficulty for newcomers to join the industries. So given to that, um, a lot of those with the new ideas, they, it's very hard for them to join the uh, industries. And therefore the industry will, 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 will only uh, remain to be themselves with the same player, recycling the same product, same itineraries, you know, for the last 10, 20 years. And so that's what I'm trying to say. Is there a question? No, it's a comment, I believe. And it's, I think it's a valid comment because we're, we're, we're looking at a new normal. We don't know what the new normal will be. And it's, uh, it's a perfect opportunity to bring changes into the industry. And uh, it's really up to, I think, everyone, um, including all of us, uh, to contribute and, uh, and, and work on these changes. Because now is the chance, since we're all sitting on various Zoom groups all over the world, and uh, we all be able to talk to each other easier. Uh, so I, I, I think I absolutely agree we need to develop new, uh, a new strategy. But Birgit, thank you very much. We, we got the title. We're going to put this also on your profile if it's not already on there. And then people can get a link to your book. And, Thanks very much, Jim. Uh, and uh, uh, well, we're running a little bit out of time, but I wanted to make sure to give the floor to uh, Marikar. Marikar has been um, a big pillow in this organization for all of us. And she's one of our tourism heroes also, same as Rudolf actually in, in Malaysia. And uh, Marikar, you have an exciting announcement. Uh, tell us a little bit also about the virtual uh, tour, um, organ uh, the virtual tour initiative we have. and. You're not only representing World Tourism Network, you're also representing the uh, World Federation of Tourism Guides, I believe, in the United States, and you're based in Washington, D.C. Welcome. Thank you, Jürgen, again, and uh, thank you, Dr. Mariana, for that very, very wonderful discussion, and I love your virtual background because I recognize it right away. That's uh, in Greece, correct, Santorini? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place. I love it so much. But uh, thank you. I've gained a lot of uh, knowledge because of that. But I'd like to invite all of you to come to uh, our uh, broadcast on WTN on Monday, February 15 at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we launch the International Tourist Guide Day. So I am the global brand ambassador for the World Federation of Tourist Guides Association. And every year we celebrate one day of the year on February 21 to celebrate tourist guides around the world. So we are going to do an entire broadcast on the 15th to launch that event. And all guide associations all around the world are going to present um, the theme, which is very interesting, tied to UNWTO, which is uh, tourist guides who are contributors to rural tourism through creative storytelling. And tour, so tour guides have, have stories to tell. We tested this in Washington, DC on inauguration date, and you put a, a fantastic event together. And even more fun was our tourist guide New Year's party. So we're fully committed to tourism <laughs> guides. And then thank you, Marikar. 
anyone who it's, it's organized by us, by the World Tourism Network, and anyone who wanted to participate and wanted to spread the word, there are two easy ways to find it. One, you go to the WTN.travel website, you click on the interest group, and you see the tourism uh, guide interest group, and it's right there. Or the other way is you go to World Tourism Events. I think it's uh, there's one other event Eleanor will tell you about coming up before uh, we have planned so far. And I hope to see every one of you there. There are a few more uh, smaller comments and I don't know if anyone wants to say anything else, please raise your hand now. Uh, otherwise I will give the floor to Eleanor and uh, then also say thank you so much, Mariana. It, this was a fantastic session and um, and I hope we can continue this and I hope you can become part of our group so we can have these type of exchanges in the future. And thank you everyone else for um, being online. You can see an archive of this at uh, livestream.travel and also at wtn.travel. But uh, we're going to be showing this probably starting in about two, three hours. It will repeat uh, throughout all our channels for the next 12 hours or so. And so, so a, lot of, a lot more people will be able to uh, tune in and uh, find out more what we have been discussing in the last hour and a half. But Eleanor um, is the star here. She put this all together. And uh, thank you, Eleanor. And I give you uh, the last word. Also tell us about your wine event coming up, uh, what you also find and register on uh, World Tourism events. And um, Eleanor then, of course, uh, will uh, uh, I think Mariana, I guess, and uh, we're saying aloha to everyone after this. Go ahead, Elena. Well, thank you, Thomas. And um, the, the uh, we're moving, we, e Turbo News and is moving uh, back into the wine space. Um, I have um, avoided uh, writing or talking or even drinking wine over this last year. I've just been too involved in in the political um, economic aspect of, of, of our world and could not bring myself to do anything that was, was wine or spirits related. But now that things are easing up, um, it's time to, uh, to bring back uh, all the coverage that each Turbo News was giving on the wine industry. And um, we're going to focus, and I know Mari, uh, Mariana is, a, is an expert in, in the wine industry as well as tourism. Um, so the first, our first speaker will be focusing on wine tariffs on imported wine into uh, the United States um, and the, the Trump um, administrations uh, seem to uh, like tariffs, um, even though it's not really a good way to, to engage in trade, but they had put a, a, a tariff on imported wines from certain countries. Uh, and then with threat of 25%. And then just before um, the, the former president exited, they were threatening to put 100% tariff on imported wines. Um, and it only hurts the wine industry in the United States and certainly hurts the pocketbook of the uh, American wine consumer. And what seems to be happening is that the better wines are not making it into the American market uh, because of these uh, taxes. Anyway, that's going to be starting in, in February, and um, that will be promoted shortly. Um, so uh, other um, other aspects and other issues that have to do with, with the wine industry is what we're going to be focusing on in the next couple of months. 
Uh, and just back to our topic of today, education and tourism uh, are, are linked. Uh, we can't we can't have a thriving industry without a really good foundation in in the multiple aspects of the educational experience. Um, it's been wonderful to have um, Mariana with us today, a world's expert in the industry who is, is noted globally by the major trade associations and, and universities. Um, and it's been wonderful to have her share all of this time with us and to share her expertise. So personally, thank you for joining us. And um, thank you for, for carving out some time to share your expertise. Thank you very much, Eleanor, for the kind words uh, and the invite. Uh, thank you, Jorgen, as well. It's really nice to meet you as well. Thank you, everyone, for participating and sharing your experience and uh, viewpoints. I think it, uh, it added at least my knowledge or perspective of what is going on, and I appreciate hearing you as well. Um, and Let's the, the show go on. <laughs> All right, guys, you all stay safe. And uh, actually what Eleanor was referring to on the eTurbo News Hour, we have a special group or blog, uh, what is under Eleanor's um, uh, leadership, it's called Wine Star Travel. So if you go to Wine Star Travel, it's part of the ETN group. And uh, that is Eleanor's baby and she has been working on it uh, for quite some time. And she knows so much about wine. <laughs> and so, and she, she doesn't like even drink it. So that's even that's even worse. But on the tourism and tasting side, um, but I think we're we're in an economy where we can still um, uh, focus uh, some on the on the business economics issues, um, ethics um, side of the industry uh, until everybody in the world gets a vaccine and we can go back to tastings. So until that happens, um, I'm going to be the issue um, the economics of the wine industry will be a focus. So if any of you, that, anybody that's part of this group or has friends in the wine industry and would like to share their lessons learned and best practices, by all means, um, contact Thomas and then Thomas will forward the information on to me and we'll turn it into another conversation. All right, guys, uh, you all stay healthy. And Thank um, you. life really cannot be all that bad if we can still talk about wine in Manhattan, <laughs> you know, so it's it's not all that bad, guys. So. No, it's getting better. Life is getting better. Okay. All right. Okay. Good night. Good morning. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.